movie called The Robin Hood Gang. It's obviously a kid's movie, so the plot is not very complex, and neither is the dialogue. <laughs> but the basic premise is, and that is there's a great connection between giving and getting to now in our lives. To give in order to get to a great moment with God. We're going to take a look at that today. This is our third week of our series called Now. We're looking at that word now. And we've looked at how our, our gospel, this incarnation, this whole presence of God, this, this thing called Christmas didn't happen 2,009 years ago. It happens now and now and it happens now and it can happen here today. And so in this series, we're just looking at how we basically, how we get beyond our impediments. Why aren't we feeling now? Sometimes we do and sometimes we don't feel the now of God. Why aren't we? Well, last week we looked at one of the reasons is, is that a lot of us don't want to have a long night before a now. We want the now without the long night. We want the now without the long period of waiting. We saw how in the Bible, basically you can't have a now moment without a long night. We saw how Moses was in the middle of the desert and he was running from the Egyptians. He was a fugitive of the law and God met him there in a bush and he said, I am, I am. And there he had a now moment. And then we saw how Moses then led the Israelites through the wilderness, 40 years in the wilderness. And they needed that wilderness period before they got to that now of the promised land. And then we looked at how Jesus spent 40 days, God spent a long night in the wilderness in order to have the now moment of the Sermon on the Mount. Hey, if God has to go through a now moment or a long night, you do too. And then finally, we saw how Jesus, of course, had a Friday in which it wasn't such a good Friday. It was one of the worst Fridays ever, but he had to die on that Friday in order for there to be a now moment on Easter. So we're looking at that, and we're looking into how we have to have that. By the way, I want to thank all of you for your amazing emails and stuff you're sending me this last week. Apparently, kids have been rewriting Christmas carols. Didn't know this. A teacher in Atlanta asked their kids to like write down the basic words to Christmas carols. These are some new words I haven't heard before. This is from a seven-year-old. Deck the halls with Buddy Holly. <laughs> uh, this is one I kind of liked. On the first day of Christmas, my tulip gave to me. Uh, flowers give. I like this one. Later on, we'll perspire as we dream by the fire. If you stand close to the fire, you will perspire. I like this one. This kid's just hungry. He's making a list of chicken and rice. <laughs> Could use a little chicken and rice right now. I love this one. We three kings of porridge and tar. That's a new one I haven't heard before. This is my favorite one, though. Noel, 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 Noel. Barney's the king of Israel. <laughs> Didn't know that. Didn't know that. Well, today we're talking about how to give in order to get to now. We're going to take a look at the Magi, or scholars would say the Magi. These were people who came to God. Now, it's my favorite text because these people are outside of the church. They are outside of this faith community. And they actually come to God through the gift of giving. Now, I want to say right up front, this message is not in order to balance the budget at Highlands. A lot of times when pastors talk about giving, you go, okay, here we go. We got a whole sermon about how we've got to give to Highlands Church. That may be what God is calling you to do today. But the main focus of the message is giving in order for you to get to now. Our goal is to help you get to now this Christmas. And this is one way to do it. Let's look at how it happened with the, the Magi. Let's take a look at our text, Matthew 2, 1 through 12. Listen for God's word. Well, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, the house of Lehem, Bethlehem, in Judea, during the time of King Herod, he was the worst and the first Herod, Magi, or Magi, from the east came to Jerusalem, 
We like to sing that song, We Three Kings of Orient Are. They weren't three, they weren't kings, and they didn't come from the Orient. Otherwise, that song is perfect. <laughs> you know, we may, there may have been as many as 10 or 20 different magi. Now again, magi is where we get our word magic or magician. These were sorcerers. They were, they were magicians. They were astrologers, peddlers. They were sort of first century scientists. So there were lots of them. And they came, and they came to Jerusalem. And it says in verse 2, he asked, they asked, where is the one? I love that part. The one. Did you know that every person who has ever been born has asked that question? Where is the one? This Wednesday and this Thursday, we will have hundreds and hundreds of people who have been looking for the one, the Messiah, the Savior, their whole lives. And they've been looking in a whole lot of wrong places. And they will be here, and our job is to help them find the one. These magi are asking that question. The one who has been born, the king of the Jews. We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. Bad translation from the Greek. Better translation would be he was sent into a tizzy fit. You just don't want to go up to a dictator of a country and just ask a dictator, where is your next leader to be born? You don't go to Fidel Castro and ask him, where is the next leader of Cuba? Don't go to Ceausescu and say, well, where is the next leader of Romania or Kim Jong-il or any of the rest? Herod is a lot worse than these people. Well, they ask him and he goes into this complete frenzy and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and the teachers of the law, he asked them, where was the Christ to be born? Now, this is a basic question that any child could have answered. They've been reading about it in the prophets for hundreds and hundreds of years. In Bethlehem, of course. Well, then Herod, this paranoid dictator, asks these magi, these magi, to come to him secretly. Now, the Bible doesn't say this, that, that Herod tried to possibly buy off some of these magi. But that was Herod's tendency. He would like to bribe some of these magi. So I imagine that Herod said, I have some gold, frankincense, and myrrh. If you just work for me, I will give you a little extra. But these magi decided not to sell their souls. And instead, they decided to give to the real Savior. And a couple of years later, and they saved their souls. Keep that juxtaposition in your mind. So they ask where he is uh, to be found in Bethlehem. And they found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. Well, Herod sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go make a careful search for the child. And as soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. I always think of Scar from The Lion King. You can see the little nail go up. In case you're listening to the podcast, I just put my pinky in there. He sent them on a careful search. Well, after they had heard the king, they went on their way. And they saw the star they had seen in the east, and it went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. Now again, the Bible doesn't have a great chronology of events, but two or three years pass. We know that because stars don't move. The earth had to have moved a couple of years for the star to go over and land over the little place in Bethlehem. And it wasn't a manger. Where is it? It's a house. It's a child who's there, a three-year-old little boy. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. That's what happens to Haley when she has too much Christmas fudge. She gets overjoyed, which leads to overtired and overcranky. But they're not on a sugar high, these magi. They are on a god high. On coming into the house, not the manger, 
they saw the child, a three-year-old little boy with his mother Mary, and they bowed down to him and they worshipped him. And here is where the now moment comes in for these magi. Then they opened their treasures and they presented him with gifts of gold and incense and myrrh. Now the Bible doesn't say that this was their now moment, but we know that it was. They'd been carrying these gifts for almost six years now. Gold, incense, and myrrh. And it's in presenting those gifts that they actually have this great moment with God. Too much is made of the whole concept of of frankincense representing priestly offerings or gold representing a king. These were just the best things in their collection. The word uh, treasure comes from the Greek word thesaurus. Would you say that with me? It's easier to do with your hands. Thesaurus. Thesaurus means collection. They brought out the best of their collection. And then having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. It's our text. Let me begin with a real tough question. It might be the biggest question you face this Christmas. What is the biggest gift you have ever given to God? What is the biggest gift that you have ever given to God? Not to Highlands Church, not to the loaves and fishes, not to the Salvation Army. Maybe you gave to God through those things. That can happen. But what is the biggest gift in your life that you said, Dear Lord, here is something that is dear to me. I am giving it to you. We get to now in our lives by that giving to God. Star and I have been praying a lot about this this last week, about the gifts that we have given to God. And all of them have been now moments. They kind of fall into three basic categories for Star and I. The first is giving our treasure. The second is giving our kids, our family. And the third is giving ourselves. I'll never forget our very first Christmas Eve, nine years ago as a married couple. We were just in our very first job and we didn't have any money. We lived in a place where the rent was very expensive and we had a very small, small salary. And I remember uh, we had to make our major rent payment. That was always hard. But then what was really hard was we only had $10 each every single month to spend on whatever we wanted. Now, I spent my $10 on ice cream and a video. That's pretty much all you can get with 10 bucks. Star would spend hers on a pedicure. Problem was, you can only get one foot done with $10. (laughs) So she would trade off feet. But it was fine. But that month, it was a really hard Christmas. And so we only gave each other $8 each to spend. So that was either an ice cream or a video for me. And for Star, it was only three toes. But... (laughs) But then I remember going to give our monthly gift to the church. $25 is what we would give every single month. And I remember that that very week I'd had a kind of a bad interaction with a senior pastor. He was my boss. You know, your boss, some days you go well, sometimes it doesn't. This was not a great interaction. So I wasn't exactly like really happy to be giving to the church at that moment. I was actually really mad. But I do remember us writing out that check on that Christmas Eve, $25. And I remember putting it in the plate. And I remember thinking, wow, this is a now moment. Because it wasn't for the church. It wasn't for the lights. It wasn't for the seats. It was for God. And then I don't know how many of you were around for the baptism of Haley, our daughter, just earlier this year. She wasn't wearing a ladybug outfit, in case you're wondering, but 
But I remember that was a huge moment for Star and I because, because this is like the most precious possession in our lives, our daughter, Haley Isla. I mean, here is God and here is Haley Isla, just, just right next. But I remember we, we, we offered her for baptism. And I know there are some in this church who don't believe in infant baptism. That's fine. But for us, it was a chance to just give our daughter to God. And I remember my dad was here baptizing Haley, and, and he put his hands on her head and said, we baptize Haley Isla in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And afterwards, you remember, Haley Isla began to clap. We did not coach her on that moment. I'm just saying. And then there was that moment 10 years ago when I gave myself to God. And as a pastor, I have to continually do that all the time. But I remember my first big giving of myself was 10 years ago, deciding I was going to not live for Graham Baird anymore. I wasn't going to live for my own holy trinity, me, myself, and I. And I remember deciding I was going to become a pastor. And up to that point, I wanted to be a politician. I remember talking to a friend, a pastor of mine. He said, you don't want to be a politician. I said, no, I don't. He said, no, you don't. You want to give your life to God because you turn out after a little while as a politician and you, you can't do anything after that. But as a pastor, you've got your whole life. Now, I'm not lifting myself up as any great giving person. But I can tell you that that was a now moment when 10 people laid their hands on me at that ordination service. I want you to think about those three categories this Christmas. You have a couple of days to think about it. The first thing I just really encourage you to think about giving this Christmas is a treasure. Give a part of your collection. Now again, that doesn't have to be money. One of my favorite stories about this is about a little girl by the name of uh, Bridget Nordemeyer. Bridget Nordemeyer was in Sunday school. She was eight years old about, you know, about three or four years ago when the Hurricane Katrina, Katrina effort came through. You remember that? And everyone was trying to raise money for the Hurricane Katrina relief effort. Well, they were having a little offering in the Sunday school, and Bridget Nordemeyer didn't have any money. But she was told by her parents that when her tooth came out of her mouth, if she put it under her pillow, she might get some money. Well, Bridget asked, how much? Well, her parents said, I don't know, about five bucks. So Bridget then uh, went to Sunday school the next week, and during the week, she'd, made, she'd been able to wiggle that tooth out of her mouth. True story. She put it in an envelope and she wrote a letter to the Red Cross. This is a true story. Look on the website today. She wrote, Dear Red Cross, here is my tooth. My parents say it's worth about five bucks. I hope this helps. It turns out that tooth was worth a whole lot more. Because they put that on the website and people gave hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of dollars. One person wrote $500 for that tooth. She had a collection of teeth. <laughs> what is your collection? Some people have a collection of TVs. You maybe have one in every room. Maybe your gift, and you might have to be creative about how you give that to God. Give him your Sony Magnavox this Christmas. Maybe your, your collection is like books or stamps. I don't know what your collection is. A lot of people's collection, if we're honest, is money. When we think about it, all of us have a pretty good collection. Mine's going downhill. We keep it down to the bank, right? We keep our collection down there. The guy who wrote a book about this named Richard Foster wrote some really great ideas about this with an intriguing title. It's Money, Sex, and Power. He wrote this. 
When we give money, we are releasing a little more of our egocentric selves, a little more of our false security. Giving frees us to care. It produces an air of expectancy as we anticipate what God will lead us to give. It makes life with God an adventure of discovery. You know what I love about these magi who gave? They had had that collection for such a long time. And they'd been saving it for God. I mean, they traveled through the desert for three years, these little Bedouin towns. How easy it would have been to just give like one piece of gold just for a little better dinner one night. Or to give one bit of frankincense for a little bit better room. Or to give maybe a little bit of myrrh for a nicer glass of claret. But they didn't. They saved it. It was part of their collection they gave to God. The second thing I just really encourage you to give this Christmas is the gift of one of your family members. I mentioned this in the last two worship services. A guy came up to me after the worship service and said, Hey man, you can have my entire family. It's just fine. A woman came in to me for counseling about three months ago. We'll call her Jennifer. Her name was not Jennifer. She was crying and she was just really in a bad spot. So she came into the office and she sat down and we had the Kleenex there on the table. And I just said, well, what, what's up? And I said, no, no, let's, let's have a prayer first. So we prayed together. I said, well, tell me, what's troubling you? Oh, she said, you have no idea. My son is driving me nuts. Okay, well, let's write that down, my son. And then I said, well, what else is troubling you? She said, oh, my husband, he is just no good. He just sits around all day long. He just, I don't really work well with my husband right now. All right, I said, my husband. I wrote that down. I said, well, what else is on your mind? She said, oh, my sister. My sister, I said, yeah, my sister, she said. She is just all about herself. Every Christmas, the whole world revolves around my sister. All right, I'll write that down. Anything else? She said, no, that's pretty much it. I said, well, let's just start with the premise. Your son is not your son. Now, this didn't actually give her much comfort when I said that, but... I said, bear with me. And your husband is really not your husband. He's not? No, he's not, I said. And I also said, you know, your sister, the one who drives you nuts, she's really not your sister. Well, whose is she, she said. I said, she's God's. And so is your son, and so is your husband. They're God's. So the only question for you is, what is God doing in their lives All you can do is do your best with your husband, do your best with your son, do your best with your sister. And then you can just say, dear God, the rest is yours. It's your problem now. She walked out of there so much lighter, so much freer, because she had built upon herself this sense that her son, her daughter, her husband were her responsibility. You might have the biggest now moment of your entire Christmas life this Christmas by saying, God, here is my family. Here, here they are. You take them. The last thing I just encourage you to think about is giving yourself. Giving yourself to God. I know there have been a whole bunch of people who have come since the True North series at this church, and you've really gotten excited about God. You've really gotten excited about Jesus Christ. But you haven't made like the full commitment. My favorite true story about this is a girl by the name of Susan who was working on the farm one summer. True story, she worked on a farm in the West. 
she, you know how farm kids are. They really work real hard. And every year, new farm hands come in to help them out. Well, this particular summer, when Susan was about 19 or 20, one farmhand came to work for the farm named Mark. And they just really hit it off. It was like the best summer of their lives. Mark and Susan were just, they had so much fun together. Well, at the end of that summer, Mark had to go back and they're in church one Sunday. The pastor's up front and he says, uh, hey, Mark, I just want to thank you for being where you have this last year, just hanging out in our little town. Mark said, well, yeah, you're welcome. Then the pastor said, well, I just want to also congratulate Mark and Susan on their engagement today. They are engaged to one another. Problem was, they weren't engaged to one another. (laughs) Both of them just turned beet red. Susan turned to Mark and said, Mark, I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry that he put us on the spot like that. Mark said, well, why? Well, because she said, we're not engaged. Well, then a song came up. A hymn was played. I don't know if it was the 12 days of Christmas, but it was something like it. And Mark turned to Susan and said, will you? She said, yes. By the benediction, they were engaged. (laughs) So for those of you who have been on the edge of your seats, for those of you who have just really fallen in love, who really enjoy hanging out with Jesus Christ, but you haven't gotten engaged yet, you haven't made that full commitment, I just want to congratulate you right now on your engagement. I want to congratulate you on this big commitment you've made. We have a party for you after church today. It's just outside. We have a reception. The only thing left for you to do at the end of our worship during our prayer is to say two words. Will you? And God will say, I will. And I have. And I forever will. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, I thank you so much that you gave us so much. You gave us your son who came to us. And on this Christmas in 2009, when so many of us are struggling so, so much, we give you our treasure. We ask that you would help us to just relieve whatever parts of our treasure this Christmas belong to you. Then Lord, I also ask that you would help those of us particularly if we're struggling with our families, to give us our family members. We commit them to you and say they are no longer ours, they are yours. Most of all today, Lord, if there's anyone here who, who hasn't made a full commitment to you, we ask that they would do it right now, before the benediction, by saying, will you? Thank you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.